Citadel's Ken Griffin gives $5 million to help Miami better prepare for disasters. And I'll talk with Crane's residential real estate reporter Dennis Rodkin about local housing news, including how local home prices have hit their 11th month of double-digit price increases despite weakness in the city. I'm, I'm not blind to the fact that crime is a problem in lots of parts of the city uh, for lots of kinds of people. When you look at the downtown condo market, the specific connection is you see these reports night after night after night, uh, North Avenue Beach, Millennium Park, street corners in River North where there are shootings and the people who thought they might buy a condo downtown, that sounds scary to them. I'm Amy Guth and this is Crane's Daily Gist for Thursday, June 2nd. When it comes to a professional like your doctor or lawyer, you want someone who knows you well. Wintrust believes you should have the same relationship with your banker, someone you can call directly and know they'll understand your concerns. Thousands of local business owners called their Wintrust banker when they needed Paycheck Protection Program loans. They called, Wintrust answered, and helped more than 11,000 local businesses secure funding. Learn more at Wintrust.com slash Daily Gist. Member FDIC. Hi there, and welcome to Crane's Daily Gist Live, brought to you by Wintrust. This is the live version of the daily podcast. I'm your host, Amy Guth, and I'm joined by Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin, here to talk about news of the week from the local housing market. Hello, Dennis. How's it going today? Great, Amy. How are you? I'm well, thanks. Well, as promised, last week you said there would be math, that you would do the math so we wouldn't have to, and indeed you have done that. So let's talk about home prices and uh, how they're tracking right now. Yeah, well, actually, I was a little bit surprised by the data that came out on Tuesday from Case Shiller. It was the 11th month in a row when the Case Shiller Index showed double-digit price increases in the Chicago area. Um, Not entirely surprised that that happened, but that it was up a little bit from the previous couple of months. It had been in the 12%, high 12s. It was 13% for March. Um, keep in mind, of course, Case Shiller is about two months back. It's a national index, so it, it takes longer to um, process the data. Uh, so we're looking at March in late May. Um, 11 months of home price increases of more than 10%, four of those months, 13% or more. That is really sort of hard to believe. We already, what is it, two months ago, reported that this is the strongest boom on record, the strongest housing boom on record for Chicago, not to mention the nation. So uh, 11th month of double digit price increases for for the Chicago area, 16 months nationwide. Uh, The pandemic, low interest rates have really sort of pushed this housing boom. And then what about what about the condo market? Because I remember last time we were talking about how they've how like the condo market sort of colors the city number a little bit. How is that? And that's actually something I should I should clarify is that what I've just been talking about, Case Sheller, is a metro-wide number, um, metropolitan area-wide number. We just, either last week or the week before, we're talking about how Chicago home prices are going down, other cities are going up. So are the two things I've said in conflict? No, they're not. Um, Chicago city of prices uh, were flat for a while and then dipped a little bit. 
but when but the measures of the entire region, which include Case Shore, uh, don't show negative because so many sales are in the suburbs and the and the suburban area is doing so well. Uh, also, that report on Chicago home prices going down is not only is it a different analytical method, but it's a different month. That was data for April. We're talking about because it was a local measure. We're now talking about data for March. But yeah, what, the thing that is really um, the weak spot, the most glaring weak spot in our market is the condo market, the downtown condo markets. I also have a story out that we, we talked about it was coming. Um, the, the 2020s have really been very, very bad for downtown condo sellers. Um, not only, well, at the top is crime, no question. Everybody I spoke to for that story said crime is the hardest, but there also is the slower than expected return to downtown. We thought that as soon as the pandemic ended in 2021, everything was going to go hunky-dory again. But of course, the pandemic didn't end. It came flying back in our faces. Uh, so that's another reason. Um, and there has, but there really is this sort of rampant spread of crime in the neighborhoods. Of course, the city is, has crime problems in lots of areas. The reason this affects the condo market is I'm an empty nester. I'm an affluent person. I'm looking at buying a million, multi-million dollar condo downtown on Michigan Avenue, near Michigan Avenue. And a lot of the things that I was attracted to are closed or are in some way suspect because of the crime that's happening in the Michigan Avenue area. So I'm, I'm not blind to the fact that crime is a problem in lots of parts of the city uh, for lots of kinds of people. When you look at the downtown condo market, the specific connection is you see these reports night after night after night, uh, North Avenue Beach, Millennium Park, street corners in River North where there are shootings and the people who thought they might buy a condo downtown and, you know, go wandering around, um, wander over to North Avenue Beach in the evening, walk down Michigan Avenue to Millennium Park. That sounds scary to them. So they're less likely to buy. So there's less demand. And as a result, home prices are going up or condo prices are going up far slower in the downtown condo areas, asterisk, except the West Loop. Uh, than they are anywhere else in the region. So you've seen condo prices kind of stall out, but they are still going up. Yeah, so the the research I pulled was off Redfin, which was the easiest way to get long-term price increases. And um, so in the city, in the city in general, from January 2020, which is before the pandemic, to April 2022, Condo prices have gone up about 23%, which is in line with what home prices have done around the region, condo, single family, et cetera. Uh, so if you hold that 23% in your mind, in Streeterville, home uh, condo prices are up about 8.4% in that period. In River North, about 3.8%. And in the Gold Coast, condo prices have dropped in the last two years, less than 1%, but they're down. Um once again, that asterisk for the West Loop, because it certainly counts as a as a downtown condo neighborhood. Sure. Prices there are up 30 percent, which is more than the citywide factor. But you look at that 8.4 in Streeterville, that decline in River North, and you start to think, uh oh, because Edgewater, far from these problems, up 30 percent. Lincoln Square, also far from these problems, up 24 percent. 
Uh, and and it's getting easier and easier for me to get people to say on the record, yeah, it's crime. And yeah, something has to change. Just a short time ago, a lot of real estate agents, a lot of homeowners really didn't want to say anything to me because, first of all, you thought it was more temporary um, and you thought uh, you didn't want to ding it. You didn't want to blackball it. You didn't want to, you know, jinx uh, the market. But now it is such a clear thread that um, it makes, I, I hate to say it this way, it makes my job easier. I call and people say, yeah, absolutely. That is the issue. I spoke to the sellers of a condo on Michigan Avenue who bought it uh, 18 years ago and are now, because they've retired to Florida, they were downtown full-time residents, not part-timers coming in from the suburbs or anything like that. Um, they're retired to Florida. They're older. They um, have the condo on the market for less than they paid for it 18 years ago. And both they and their real estate agent said to me, wide open, no restrictions on, on quoting them, um, it's crime. Yeah, certainly. I mean, because there's sort of two pieces of it, right? And you touched on this with people not wanting to push that narrative further down the field, really, right? Because there's crime data and there's perception of crime, right? And if something's happening close by your home, it's easy to make that suddenly much bigger, right? And there's there's always been a narrative that downtown is not as safe as suburbs in any city and, and right? And so I think there's kind of both things. There's crime and perception of crime that are probably driving this. Oh yeah, we, we talked about that a little bit in the story that it is both crime and fear of crime. You know, yeah. I mean, so I'm retired, I'm affluent, I'm I'm looking for a place where I'm just gonna, you know, go out to dinner, get a glass of wine with my friends, that kind of thing. It doesn't sound like the kind of place I would do that. Sure. Um, it sounds like I might enjoy better downtown Hinsdale or whatever it is. And, um, and you know, that has that has a multiplier effect. Not only are condo prices down, but I spoke to a restaurateur who said, yeah, you know, a lot of people are just not as happy just wandering in. Uh, and it, it's undeniable now, we, you talked about advancing the narrative. It is undeniable now that this is a problem. And we know that, you know, mayoral candidates are talking about it. Everybody's talking about it. Um, my piece of it is the condo market is definitely talking about it. Yeah, certainly. All right. Well, let's move to some specific buildings now. One in particular is a story that you wrote about some Woodlawn apartments that are going to be named for the housing activist who saved them, Maddie Butler. This is actually kind of cool. So there's an organization called POA. We've discussed them in the past, Preservation of Affordable Housing. They now own two buildings in Woodlawn that a woman named Maddie Butler saved back in the 1990s. Um, she was she was a housing act. She was living in Woodlawn, raising kids, single mother. And a she just really by force of will raised the money to buy two decrepit buildings in Woodlawn and turn them into affordable housing. Um, I read some of the old newspaper articles from when she was doing it. And people were like, how is she managing this is amazing, and it really is. She was before uh, a lot of the a lot of the organizations that were working that are now working on affordable housing, and she just really worked hard to raise, make connections, raise money, and save these two buildings and rehab them into affordable housing. So she did it a couple of decades ago, and on a lower budget. They need rehab again. She has gotten older, so she sold the she her organization. I said should say, 
sold the buildings to POA, Preservation of Affordable Housing. They put them through a newer round of rehab and in conclusion named the two buildings for Maddie Butler. So there are two buildings called about, uh, I guess, what are they, two blocks from each other called the Maddie Butler Apartments, which I just think is it's a nice sort of a tribute. Somebody was in here working hard in the trenches early on this is before people started worrying about gentrification in Woodlawn because of the Obama Center or a, a lot of the other issues that are there now. Um, she was just really trying to house people uh, and saw these, are they 1920s buildings? I think one of them might be from the 19th century. I, I don't remember. Um, but they're both these, you know, classic old Chicago apartment buildings. And she didn't want to see them demolished and turned into yet another vacant lot. She wanted to see people housed there made sure that happened. And now three decades later, they've been rehabbed again and are will be uh, affordable housing for the long term. And how many units are in these buildings? I believe combined, the two buildings are about 104 units. We're not talking about like a six flat or something. These are pretty big. Rob, our producer says 106. That's a lot of families that can get into that space. Yeah, they're mostly um, studio and one bedroom units. There are some three bedroom units. Uh, and and again, they've just been rehabbed, uh, yeah. uh, got in another round of rehab. So it's like moving into a new, new affordable unit. And named for Maddie Butler. That's legacy stuff for sure. Well, let's talk about a couple of other buildings. This one is a, a home in the Gold Coast. It is for sale after a rehab. Here's another rehab um, by a pair of antique importers. Tell me about this place. Yeah, the couple who own Golden Triangle, which has been a pretty prominent uh, antiques and cultural artifacts importer since 1989. They were in River North. Now they're um, in Westtown. In 2002, they bought this building on division. When they bought it, it was four apartments, one per floor. They turned it into a two flat, two sets of two story units, um, intending to rent one. It turned out they ended up living in the whole thing. So it's it's configured as a two flat. You could buy it as as with one unit as an in income, or you could live in the whole thing as they did. But much more important is look at this place. This is so nice. It's like, to me, it was a little bit like walking through the old Golden Triangle store um, in River North, which I passed often on the way to Cranes. I haven't been to the one in Westtown, but all these great sort of artifacts. Some of this, of course, is the furnishings, which is not part of the, the real estate offering, but a lot of the built-ins, um, I think we're going to come to here, this paneling around this limestone fireplace. And in another room, the paneling is out of an old men's club from colonial era uh, Yangon, which is also Rangoon in um, Myanmar. Uh, but then they also have things like this really spectacular contemporary staircase, really a wonderful spot. They said that what they wanted was charm and comfort everywhere, and also access to outdoors from every one of the four floors. Part of that was um, they'd really like to have a vacation home in Michigan, but they were selling, they were working retail, they had to work weekends. So they tried to make their vacation home, the outdoor space uh, at their Gold Coast home. So you can, I, can you see here, here, this is the, I love this picture. Rob, can you hold on this one for a minute? Not only do you go from the kitchen to one of the levels of terrace, but this is one of the great finishes they did. At the back of that photo, you can see that part of that surface is the walkway to go outside. 
And part of that surface is the desktop that becomes comes around the corner to countertop. I mean, it's just everything is so well designed. Each piece of the space has a little story to tell. Like here, you know, we use the surface for two different for walking on and for office work and, and cooking. They really did a great job. It's very interesting when we can see a space where they've been able to really successfully connect old pieces and contemporary design. That It seems like that's so hard to pull off, but they've done it really beautifully here. Absolutely. Inside, you see some uh, scrubbed brick. You see old brick. What, they ha- what happened was they took away some uh, walls to make the room bigger, to combine small rooms into a big one, but they left the old brick which tells you something about the history of the building. And then they added, I don't remember where all this wood on the right is from. This is not from that same club, I don't think. But they add these cultural artifacts, these antiques, so that, as you say, they're mixing. So they've mixed not only old and new, but something that was built here on the Gold Coast and something that was brought in from Asia. Um, And the look is, you know, when I first heard about it from the real estate agent, I thought, "Ah, you know, it could look a little gimmicky, Um, trusting the sellers because I've, as I said, I've been to their store. Uh, But gimmicky is not the word. I just think this is this was done so well. Yeah, certainly. That seems like one of those houses that would be so hard to part with because it's so unique and you can tell they, they have a lot of. Um, you know, I don't even know them, but it seems like they have a lot of personality into the into the space. And the reason they're selling is uh, they so they're based here. They have this 10,000 square foot showroom in Westtown, but they also because of what they do importing, they also started small and developed into much larger a business in Thailand. And they said they really need to pay attention there. This one is doing well. That one really needs their attention and they can't really keep a house like this when they're going to be spending more time in Thailand. So what they said is they want somebody else to use it. The rooftop is so wonderful because it's not just a deck. It's got built-in benches and side panels, and they've planted mugo pines, and some of the neighbor's trees have been allowed to sort of extend branches over. Because what they said was the idea is, once again, we can't go to Michigan on weekends because we got to work retail. So let's have our, he described it as a treehouse in the Gold Coast. You know, they didn't just jack a deck on top of the building. They have sort of walls and, and box, planted boxes so that you have spaces, you have outdoor rooms tucked in among the Gold Coast buildings. I mean, you see greenery on rooftops, but not big trees like that. So you feel like you're kind of in a yard in a little forest on top of this building. Yeah. And they did, by the way, reinforce the structure of the building to hold this weight. Not just putting big trees, hoping for the best. (laughs) They just haul a bunch of bags of dirt up there and say, oh, I hope this works. Weird. A tree fell through the ceiling. (laughs) Yeah. Very beautiful. So this is now priced at 2.7 million. 2.7 million. All right. Well, let's go to one other house. And that is a place uh, with a, a view of Michigan Avenue, or a view of uh, Lake Michigan, rather, from a, a jazz age classic, as you've described it. It's actually not too far from the one we were just looking at. Um, this is on Astor. This, it's a whole different concept. Um, this is an Andrew Rabori building. Andrew Rabori uh, completed it. It's mid-20s. I can't nail down the year on this for a couple of reasons, but he did a lot of the sort of jazz age buildings. My favorite is the Madonna della Strada Chapel at Loyola University, which looks um, looks like it's sort of a catapult that's going to push 
a piece of the church out into the lake, but it's this beautiful art deco building. Um, he did several others here. He designed these, this sort of jazz age. I believe it was a co-op originally, but his condos now. And in this picture, we see some of the finishes he put inside, including you can sort of tell, but that, that um, the floor has sort of a glint in it. It's original flooring and the chandelier, the plaster frame, donut shaped frame for the chandelier. These are the kinds of things he was designing in the twenties because you know, you were, this was for high level people. Sure. Uh, so when this couple bought it in 2012, I believe 2011, they did a complete rehab. They kept a lot of this Rabori detail, but there a lot of it was already gone. It had been rehabbed of course, over time since the 1920s. And one of the things I said in the story is the only thing better than having a view of Lake Michigan in Chicago is having more view of Lake Michigan. And they worked that out. Those windows you can see at the far end of the room, and I think we're going to see a closer view of them, were um, simple sort of divided windows, slide up, slide down kind of windows. And they wanted to break open the view as much as possible. So they replaced them with picture windows which just intrudes a little bit less here. This is the room, the part of the room I'm talking about. So those windows uh, aren't exactly larger, but there's more view through them. And they took down the chandelier, which also got in the way. Uh, so the idea was just, they called this the lake room. They hadn't lived up. What is this? The 12th floor. They hadn't lived up with a view of the lake and they really wanted to maximize that view so that's one of the things they did. They also, in this room we're in now, which is part of that room we were just in, they sort of, they opened it up so that you saw the lake from, this is the north side of, of they're the full floor. This is the north side. And from that entire north side, from the dining room you see, which is on the uh, west facing part of the building, you see all the way through to the east to see the lake. Because I think I just said, they call this the lake room. And they really wanted to maximize it. But back to the Rabori stuff, that uh, fireplace you see on the left is Rabori. It's complemented by these nice window seats. I thought this was so great. This is not a Rabori detail. This is from somebody else's previous renovation, covering the radiators with window seats, with contemporary looking window seats. Because on this side of the building here, you're looking, I think that that far window would be west and the one on your right would be north you're surrounded by all the glittering lights of the Gold Coast. So sit out in that, in those window seats. You know, we've had dinner here and now with our, well, let's go back to the 20s. We're in tuxedos, right? And we've got champagne. We're going to go sit in those window seats and be surrounded by the lights. It's, I just think it's, you know, it's, it's a nice way to live. This one, they're asking 3.1 million. It's a four bedroom unit. Most everything in this building uh, this is only this is a, a 13 story building, a 14 story building, and there are only 12 units in it. Everybody is a full floor except for the one above this one, which is two floors. Uh, so most of them have three bedrooms. This one has four. The two story one, I think, has six. Here's the kitchen. I, I was really fascinated by this kitchen. They did this themselves, but you would think a designer did because they mixed the materials so well. You've got stainless steel. You've got wood, both painted and nude. You've got stone. I think this looks really good. And I assumed they would tell me, oh, we had the kitchen designer, you know, Mr. Jacques. They did and not have Mr. Jacques. 
I mean, those stainless steel cabinets are interesting because they only have glassware in them. So it almost has this kind of like sparkly display case kind of quality to it for a kitchen cabinet where you usually see, you know, plates and things like that stacked. It just looks, you know, this kind of sparkly little detail that highlights the other little bits of sparkle in the place. And goes back to that 1920s, actually, yeah. and I'm realizing in a way it sort of picks up that flooring we saw in the original flooring in the foyer. Yeah, it, it just really good selections. Bedroom, they did, you know, they also did the utilities. It's got new air conditioning and heat and all those things that people expect. But uh, just a really stylish kind of a place. I've been making 1920s comments, but I think it works perfectly well in the 2020s as well. I mean, it looks it looks sophisticated today, just as it would have in the 20s. Certainly, for sure. Okay, and that's, you said it before, but say it again. 3.1 million? 3.1 million, yes. yes. Right. And it's not, it's actually not on the market until June 9th, where I often get these sort of lucky previews. So we're yeah. looking at it before it's actually available. Well, I'm C- sure in we'll... case you want to rush in and get it, Amy. Right. I mean, no problem. That's, that's easily doable. <laughs> Let me just go do that right now. I feel like every week there's one where we want one of us wants to rush in and grab it. So, all right. Well, what's coming up in the week ahead? Oh, a couple of things. Um, one of the things I'm looking at is the Bring Home Chicago initiative, which we've talked about before, which is a proposal to increase transfer taxes on properties sold for a million dollars or more, whether residential or commercial, right. is headed toward city council in July. So I'm looking into that whole effort. That's one. And um, also some. there's a really beautiful villa for sale in Lake Forest. Oh, maybe I'll buy that instead. Yeah, it's only twice the price of the one you were looking at. So no problem. I mean, I do need a villa in my life eventually. I'm going to have to bite the bullet there eventually and do that. So, all right. Well, thanks so much, Dennis. Always a pleasure. And I'll talk with you next week. Thanks, Amy. When will gas cars be phased out? According to a new report, sales have peaked and soon the fleet will too. We'll talk about that and more right after this. Crane's Chicago business is thrilled to announce a new event covering the food industry this year. Join us on June 8th for The Future of Food to hear from an expert panel covering a variety of segments across the industry. With traditional food makers, startups, ingredient providers, and a thriving restaurant scene, Chicago is host to more food industry talent than any major area in the country. Come learn why this is the best time ever for food in Chicago as Crane's food reporter Ali Marotti moderates. Only a few seats remain, so secure yours today at chicagobusiness.com slash events. Citadel's Ken Griffin is the biggest donor so far to a new fund that will help Miami respond to disasters like hurricanes. Bloomberg reported that Griffin, a Florida native and CEO of Chicago-based Citadel, has given $5 million to help launch the Miami Disaster Resilience Fund. The goal is to raise $20 million, according to a statement from nonprofit groups supporting the effort. Rebecca Fishman-Lipsey, CEO of the Miami Foundation, which is leading the initiative, told Bloomberg that the fund is a response to lag times seen last year in getting resources to families, such as those impacted by the collapse of the Surfside Florida condo tower. The idea she said, is to have money in reserve so that it can be dispersed quickly. And preparation is also a component. One of the first grants is to designate a section of warehouse space from which supplies can be distributed when disaster strikes. 
Citadel has some staff working in temporary offices in Miami and said it's looking at more permanent space. Griffin last month expressed frustration with crime and political leadership in Chicago and in Illinois overall, saying, quote, if things don't change, we're gone. Griffin, who founded his hedge fund business in 1990 and later created Citadel Securities, has a fortune of $29.4 billion, that according to Bloomberg Billionaire's Index. Crane's sister publication Automotive News reported that a defective battery pack caught fire over the weekend at the Rivian plant in downstate Normal, leading to an evacuation of the area of the plant where battery packs are tested for the automaker's electric vehicles. The cause was under investigation and no injuries were reported. According to the Normal Fire Department, firefighters arrived at the plant Saturday mid-morning where they found a battery pack in thermal runaway, meaning it had overheated and caught fire. Firefighters from nearby Bloomington helped out due to the size of the fire, but the only damage reported was to the battery pack, the test booth equipment, and to the carrier, which supports the battery so it maintains its structural integrity. In an email to Automotive News, a Rivian spokesperson wrote that the battery pack was already identified as faulty prior to the fire and that Rivian was actively investigating the cause of the defect. The owner of the old post office downtown has acquired its second suburban apartment property in six months, paying $24 million for a new building in Naperville. Crane's Albie Galoon reported that an affiliate of 601W bought Vantage Naperville, a 112-unit building at 1350 East Ogden, from a venture led by local apartment developer Michael Zaransky. Galoon noted in his reporting that the deal also underscores the strength of the DuPage County multifamily market and its popularity with investors. As Cranes has previously reported, over the past year, several large apartment properties in the area have changed hands at high prices. Known in Chicago as an owner of big downtown office buildings like the Old Post Office, the Aon Center, and the Civic Opera Building, 601W has gravitated to suburban apartments more recently. Including the Naperville acquisition, 601W now owns nine multifamily properties overall in the Atlanta, Miami, Chicago, Columbus, Ohio, and northern New Jersey markets. That according to New York-based research firm Real Capital Analytics. Find more on this story as well as many others at chicagobusiness.com. Bloomberg NEF published its annual long-term electric vehicle outlook report. And according to the data, despite the challenges of a pandemic, supply chain crunches, and trouble sourcing critical minerals, electric vehicles are gaining a bigger share of the transportation picture each year. According to the data, at the end of this year, there will be more than 27 million electric passenger vehicles on the road out of a global fleet of more than 1 billion. There are currently fewer than 2 million electric buses and commercial vehicles on the road around the world. The Bloomberg data also noted that in 2017, global new vehicle sales reached 87 million, and all but 1.1 million had an engine. That year, according to the reporting, could end up being the all-time high for deliveries of internal combustion vehicles. Sales dropped below 82 million in 2019 and in 2020 to fewer than 70 million. Bloomberg NEF said that it expects that the world's fleet of internal combustion engine cars, excluding hybrids and plug-in hybrids, will peak at just over $1.2 billion this year, dropping only slightly in 2023. After that, the report calls for a sharp decline, forecasting that by the end of the next decade, the global fleet of cars with an engine rather than a battery or a fuel cell will be less than half the size it is today. And that shift has major implications for infrastructure as well, both at the street level and for countries' grids. 
Bloomberg NEF reported that it anticipates there will be at least $1 trillion worth of investment in EV charging networks by 2040 to construct and install 339 million charging connections, which will of course require a significant amount of electricity. The Bloomberg report indicated that EVs could increase global electricity demand by more than 4,700 terawatt hours by 2040, and that's more than the current total consumption of the U.S. EVs could account for between 10 and 13 percent of global electricity demand by 2040 and between 15 and 21 percent by 2050. That's Crane's Daily Gist for now. Check in on our continuous news feed at chicagobusiness.com. Thanks so much to today's guest, Crane's residential real estate reporter, Dennis Rodkin. You can follow all of our conversations on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you like to find your audio on demand. Don't forget to subscribe and please rate and review Crane's Daily Gist. Our show is produced by Todd Manley at Earsight Studios. I'm Amy Guth. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll meet you right back here next time.